All right. Welcome back, humans. Hope you're going well. As of recording this, Dave, it's the Wednesday. Uh, this will come out tomorrow for all you guys listening. The inflation, the monthly, quarterly, and annual inflation data uh, for June was just released today uh, by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. We'll use ABS for short. The annual level of inflation, so uh, inflation compared to June of 2022 to June 2023 hit 6%, down from 7% with the previous quarter quarter of data for that annual inflation figure. This fall in inflation was largely expected uh, by all of the markets like stock traders and, and uh, economists. Uh, the, the strongest rises in the inflation figure was based on rents, which recorded the strongest rise since 1988, reflecting the super low vacancy rate environment and how tight of a rental market we're in. Uh, and rents are still rising uh, as part of the the data that they're tracking for that figure. Michelle Marquardt, I think her, her uh, last name is, is from the ABS, and she's just said that we're we're entering what's called disinflation uh, as inflation's coming down from that peak of seven point eight percent in the December twenty twenty two quarter. So. Um, the biggest contributors to the inflation figure were new dwelling costs, which rose 7.8% annually. Rents are up 6.7% compared to last year on average. And domestic holiday travel and accommodation rose 13.9%. Uh, annual inflation for goods uh, was 5.8%, down from 7.6% in March. Um, so I figured, Dave, hopefully this is a sign that the RBA cash rate increases that we've seen over the last year or so are uh, doing the job they're supposed to. Um, and I just wondered your thoughts on that one before we move on. Yeah, yeah, no, I think like it's good. Um, like the March, sorry, the June, March quarter inflation was 1.4%, June 0.8%, so it's headed down. It's you know, not really surprising because people are you know, doing it tough because rates are going up. Um, as we've talked about, it only, you know, interest rates only really impact a proportion of the population because there's there's people who um, don't have a mortgage, you know, people say who are investors who can you know get uh, and because rents are going up, you know, they can they can uh, cover some of the costs of their loan through their um uh, through the rent that the tenant pays. So yeah, it's 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 good. Um, I think you can basically, you know, I'd be very surprised if they put rates up next week. Yeah, you know, I imagine Philip Lowe with two RBA board meetings left in his tenure before um, the new lady takes over, he'd be pretty keen to have two or three months in a row of not putting up interest rates so he can, you know, leave on a good note um, and basically say, you know, I did the hard yards and I left left it in better shape. But, um, yeah, the, the thing about holiday travel and accommodation, like I know, a lot of it, I reckon, is my cohort. I reckon it's people over 50 who, you know, during COVID were on not much on their savings and now they're getting like 4 to 5% and, you know, super returns are going okay. Mm. Um, a thing in happy days, got some cash, let's go. Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, new inflation for new dwellings rose due to lack of supply mainly of, of tradies and building materials, rents up 6.7% due to lack of supply. Um Whereas the other one, holiday, you know, accommodation and goods inflation, very much probably demand driven. So, um, yeah, I just think RBA will leave rates on hold 
on uh, the 1st of August, which is at their, their next meeting. Um, from what I read of, on the statement that um, prior to the inflation figures, the market was 50-50 on rates rising next week. After today's figures, it's now 30% thinking they'll rise and 70% thinking they won't. But I would have thought with an RBA governor about to leave and a new one about to come in, um, that we might see a couple of months of um, uh, rates on hold um, just while they um, suss out the lay of the land. Mm. Yeah, and it might be worth mentioning, there's a guy called David Taylor who I think is a journalist at the ABC uh, who's a good follow on Twitter, uh, mm -hmm. sharing some quotes from Deloitte Access Economics, who I think yep. are a think tank, Dave. Um, um, Deloitte, Deloitte's are... Uh, well, I'm not sure they still are, but we're one of the big accounting firms, okay. and they do have a they do have an economics division that does like forecasting and that sort of stuff for clients. Yeah. Okay. So they they basically um they quoted uh, Dave Taylor has quoted Deloitte as saying this about the RBA. So the inflation data released today is further evidence that the Reserve Bank has increased rates too far. Higher interest mm -hmm. rates won't encourage a faster energy transition nor unleash a wave of home building. Instead, they will make these issues worse. A narrow dogmatic view of the link between unemployment and inflation fails to recognize the key sources of excessive inflation in Australia at present and therefore misdiagnoses the correct policy response. Um, yep. So other people in the in the industry, even big wigs like Deloitte, are saying they think that RBA is doing mm -hmm. the wrong thing here, not to say that anything's going to change because they haven't changed their tune much over the last year or so. Um, yeah. And look, there's, so. I mean, there's been a, quite a few economists saying that they thought the RBA had gone too far, that they'd sort of, you know, it's a bit like a pendulum. It had gone one way with, you know, free money and, you know, giving grants to people and, you know, spending, you know, spending by state governments, which, you know, was, was a, a normal economic response. We had a similar thing during the GFC. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's been quite a few economists saying that they've gone too far and they needed to let things sort of, you know, flow through a bit more. But it's not an exact science, this stuff. Um, it is, you know, we've talked about how, you know, interest rates, uh, you know, they only impact a small proportion of the economy, you know, and there could be better better options like putting up tax and, you know, having COVID levies and all that sort of stuff so that everyone shares the pain, putting up GST, for example, Um but yeah, who knows? But yeah, the the good news for mortgage holders is it's likely that we could have a month or two of rates not going up, mm. which is um which is a good thing after the um you know dozen or so rate rises we've had. So another thing we're gonna chat about, um, there's a podcast that came out with a guy called Bushy Martin, who I interviewed late last week, who runs Know How Property. Uh we did an interview, chatted about whether uh young people like myself are maybe too overconfident about superannuation being the best way to be okay in retirement. So he ran some numbers that I thought I'd I'd uh, repeat for the podcast. So the average super the average superannuation for someone between eighteen to twenty nine sits between seven thousand and twenty five thousand dollars as of now. You might be above that, you might be below that, but that's the average range for that age group. The average salary for someone 21 to 34 is about $62,400 a year, including you know tax and all that. Um, 
the expected super balance for that age group, including myself at 67, which is the assumed time you'll be able to access your super uh, based on 11% contributions of your income for each, each pay you do. Uh, the average, the expected super balance is going to be $481,000 based on the 7.5% return, which is fairly average for superannuation returns. So if we divide that up among 20 years, uh, which we're assuming you're going to live from 67 to 87 without working, uh, the the assumption is that's going to give you about $24,000 to live on each year for that 20 years. And um, I guess Bushy was sort of explaining to me that uh, young people like myself, like myself included, sort of assumed that because we're going to be contributing to super for a lot longer compared to people who are getting their super now, who only maybe were in the workforce contributing to super for 20, 30 years, Dave, uh, mm-hmm. the assumption with younger people is that superannuation will be enough and we don't have to worry about doing anything else. Uh, and mm. Bushy, Bushy's point is just that it's a, uh, it's a good thing to have superannuation, to have some money accessible upon retirement, but if you think it's the silver bullet that's going to solve all of your problems in retirement, you're being sold a false bill of goods, um, which sort of makes me feel a bit pissed off because at school we were sort of taught that superannuation was all you really needed. But school, the the older I the older I get, the more I feel like school didn't really prepare me for things the best way. Yeah. So, what were your thoughts? Yeah, look, two two things I'd say. One, um, when I was your age, super. Never even thought of it. Um, there was a famous philosopher that I used to work for. Um, his name was Paul Morris, and he he used to do um, superannuation um, seminars. And he said, before fifty, before age fifty, super is a word. After age fifty, it's a religion. And the problem is, most people don't think too much about their super until they're five, ten years, or maybe even ten days away from retirement. If you've got 481000 in super at age 67 retirement and it's been averaging 7.5%, I think one of the the assumptions that Bushy's made or in this example of, you know, if, you, if you're going to take um, twenty four grand a year, you know, you'll chew up your money in 20 years. That's right if you take four hundred and eighty one grand and sit it under your mattress and just take out... 24 grand a year in 20 years you'll have nothing left in the mattress but if you leave your money in a super fund and go into a pension of say just say you're you go into a pension of 10 percent which is forty eight thousand dollars you take 10 percent out but the fund still grows by seven and a half percent so you're only losing two and a half percent you're not losing the whole lot over 20 years so Mm. i think um, yeah, a lot of people my age, like super started in 1992 with the, um, you know, Paul Keating, Bob Hawke government. And, you know, most of the people my age um, have had like 30 years of super. When you get to age 67, Damo, you would have been working for close to 50 years. Your super will be pretty good. But whether it's going to be great or whether it's going to be enough, you don't really know. That's why people like Bushy, 
you know, John Lindeman, Terry Ryder, all the people you've had on your podcast talk about buying income-producing assets, whether it be investments, managed funds, residential property, commercial property, all that sort of stuff, of having you don't want to have all your eggs in the superannuation basket just in case but i think most kids who are sorry most people listening to the show who are under 30 by the time you get to age 67 and look the retirement age might be 70 or 75 by then who knows but you know when you're and this is no slight on the people I'm going to mention, but when you're at Bunnings and you're being served by someone who looks like your grandfather, they may be there because they're social and they want to work to keep healthy and active and stave off dementia by you know being around adults and having laughs and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of them are there because they have to because you know whether it's the super fund or whether it's just the way they live their life, they don't have enough to fund their retirement the way they'd like it to. So as with most things, you've got to be proactive. You've got to be engaged. You've got to, you know, no one cares about your future more than yourself. Mm. So you've got to make sure that you're you know, actively engaged in it, that you take interest in, you know, if, if you're looking at your, your super fund, you know, what are you in a balanced fund or in a high risk fund or a low risk fund or a cash fund or that sort of stuff, you know, it's worthwhile taking an interest in it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So it's not, it's, um, I guess, yeah, it's not the be all and end all. Is the, no, is the but, point. It's, but it's not as bad as the example of, you know, if you've got 480, it's only going to last you um, 20 years at 24 grand. If you took, if you take it all out of the bank, if you take it all out of your super and just put it in a bank account that earns no interest and, and spend 24 grand a year after 20 years, you'll have nothing left. Yeah, um, right. That's true. But if you leave it in a fund and you take, a, you know, you convert it to pension and like this is not financial advice because we're not financial planners, but yeah. if you take a 10% pension but the fund's growing by 5%, you're only losing 5% of the fund, not, not the whole yeah, lot. Okay. So, if you go on a pension when you retire, is the pension yeah. drawing from your super or is the pension taxpayer dollars? So the there's two, two things. If you don't have enough super, so people will retire and there'll be a payment from their super fund. And that can be usually, if you're over 60, a tax-free lump sum or uh, a pension. Now, if you take a pension and it's under the, and you're under the income and um, assets threshold for uh, superannuation for the age pension, you may also be entitled to a government pension, part pension or full pension. Okay. But it just depends. And the only real advice for people is go see a financial planner, especially if you're looking to start a family to make sure you're covered insurance-wise. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got a mortgage and a major breadwinner and young children, um, you know, what would happen if something happened to the major breadwinner? You know, they couldn't work again. They couldn't work for a period of time. Um, they were injured critically but not at work so there's no like workers comp or that sort of thing so the best bet is you know, get engaged in it and um be on top of it you want to you want to be in the driver's seat you don't want to be sitting in the back yeah. um just hoping you're going to get to the right destination that's fair last one i was going to cover i guess 
I can speak to this and you can speak to this, having rented yeah. and bought a, a place to, to live in with a mortgage and stuff. So maybe going through the pros and cons of renting, oh, sorry, the pros and cons of buying versus the mm -hmm. pros and cons of renting. So maybe for, for the pros of buying, obviously, if you buy a house in a good spot, that's in a good location with a good solid economy around it, uh, you can reap the benefits of capital growth, which is the value of the property going up over time and the timing of how quickly uh, that price goes up will be dependent on where you buy and what sort of uh, property you've bought. Um, if you're if you're renting it out as a landlord, you might be able to get good rent for it that helps you cover the mortgage repayments if it's in a good area where rental demand is high. And uh, despite the ongoing costs of of, uh, of holding a property, the rent might be helping you cover all those things. So obviously the cons of buying a property um, and living in it, let's say, uh, you might foreclose on it if you can't service the debt that you owe to the bank to pay off. Uh, if you're on a variable rate mortgage, it, it's prone to going up and down, uh, which means that your monthly repayments will change up or down depending on how the RBA decides to raise interest rates. Purchasing a house is a huge upfront cost, and I know this at the moment, ongoing costs of repairing a home especially an older home that might need some things to get fixed up can be a lot of money, which means you're basically saving for a month or two just to spend it and go back to square one. Um, yeah. I guess with pros of renting and cons of renting, if you're a renter, you sign a contract that says your rent is going to be X for a year or six months or however long you've got certainty in your rental costs and somebody else pays for the maintenance of that house. So you've got a landlord who is legally obligated to provide you with uh, a place to live that is safe to live, has the proper airflow, has the proper ventilation, rah, rah, rah. Um, often if you're in a place where you have a high income and you've got low rental costs, you're freeing up a bunch of money in disposable income. You can also use that uh, as an opportunity to invest in a different way that you might not be able to do if you had high mortgage costs, which was sort of um, limiting the extra money you had after you had the the mortgage payments coming out of your bank. Uh, another pro of renting is obviously the flexibility in where you live. You can get up and move a year after you live somewhere because you're, you're, your lease has come up and come due and you're not renewing it. You're going to move on with your life and go live somewhere else. Obviously, uh, the cons of renting, if your landlord has a mortgage, they might raise your rent. Um, you may lack privacy or security because you might have a, a, a property manager that wants to regularly inspect your property uh, and check out to make sure you know, you've know you not put up a picture frame where you're not allowed to put up a picture frame. You've not put some blue tack on the walls where you're not supposed to put blue tack on the walls. And yeah, I guess the biggest one that I can think of for cons of renting is you've got very limited freedom when it comes to decorating the place that you want to call your home for as long as the rental uh, lease or rental contract uh, goes for. So I just wondered your thoughts on that one before we moved on to your stuff. Yeah, look, I think you've covered that that pretty well. Mm. We've talked about if you're renting and you're going to be renting for a while, that you might want to lock in a longer term lease to try and cap like yearly or whatever rent yeah. rises. Um, yeah, I know quite a lot of landlords who are getting below market rent because they have good tenants. So 
um, yeah, for yeah, you might have an agent saying, "Hey, we could put the rent up fifty bucks," and the uh, the owner will say, "Look, no, I actually the, they're they're good tenants. Um, I'm happy to leave it as it is because yeah, if you if 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 you put the rent up um, fifty bucks, that's two and a half grand a year. If for some reason those tenants leave, um, and you're yeah, your place is not being rented for say four weeks. That's two grand of rent you've given up if it's five hundred a week. Plus there's the leasing fee, plus the other fees, the advertising. You might actually be behind. So um, yeah, if you're renting, um, the only thing I was going to mention is that you can do both. You can rent and you can buy, and that's by rent vesting. So if you're living in Turak or Sandy Bay in Tassie, beautiful Sandy Bay, we love Sandy Bay. Um, Merriweather in Newcastle, you know, Bar um, Byron Bay, um, Bondi, those sorts of places where you cannot afford a property to buy, but you love living there because it's great for your lifestyle and work and it's you know close to everything you do. Um, you, know, you can buy a rental property in another location, um, get in the property market that way. Um, I remember the guys from Open Corp. Um, on a um, webinar once, one of the guys was saying, I think it was like the seventh or eighth property that he and his wife bought was the place that they live in. So mm. you don't, it's not necessarily a, um, you know, I've, I've either got to buy or I've got to rent. You can rent and you can buy. So you can do both. Do you want me to run through my ones? Yeah. Yeah, if you want, yeah. Yeah, look, we sort of covered this a bit last week, um, and this is about office vacancies. And there was some stuff that came out in the Fin Review that um, 14% of Sydney CBD, CBD offices are vacant, and it's 16.2% in Melbourne. And yeah, there's you know, a lot of the reason is that your know, staff are working from home either all the time or or you know, part of the time. So you know, whereas you might have had you know, five um, floors of office space. Now you only actually need two because, you know, you've got some people, you know, you've only, on any one day, you've only got like 20 or 30% of staff in the office rather than right. it used to be 100%. 100%. So they just talk, there's two things that we've sort of talked, we talked last week about how this will impact super because um, of the way, um, you know, a lot of super funds are invested in commercial property yeah. and if commercial property you know commercial property valuations are normally based on rent so if they're getting less rent so if you you know if you own a 20 story office tower at Martin Place in Sydney and it used to be full but now there's only 16 floors paying rent yeah um rather than 20 you know your valuation will be reduced and um you know that will flow through if you're if you're owned by a super fund that will ultimately impact the amount of potential returns that that fund can earn for its um, members and pay through in super. So that's one of the, one of the impacts. The other, the other thing is, and this is a lot easier said than done, is it's probably an opportunity for, for governments and business um, and landlords to look at whether you can repurpose some of that accommodation because it is normally near, near you know, shops, train stations, may not necessarily be near schools if you're in the middle of the city, but, um, you know, rather than having to... Um, Get development approvals, find land, knock down existing structures to build. Um, you know, it might be an opportunity for um, repurposing some of those buildings. So, sort of just keeping it. It's just an interesting thing. But yeah, you know, with with commercial, um, 
Now, if we are sort of moving towards a recession, um, that will impact um, businesses. So if you've got commercial property, it could impact your, um, you know, the income you earn. Um, whereas, you know, because we've got such a horrific undersupply of um, residential property, um, you know, it's always a good place to uh, um, invest somewhere in the country. You know, it may not be next door to you or may not be in the same suburb you're in, but, um, you know, I think Bushy Martin said in the podcast you did with him and John Lindemann certainly said you know, quite a lot of times that um, the market's always growing somewhere in Australia. You've just got to find it. So, but yeah, the, the last two I was going to mention was about... Um, there, there were some stats coming out about um, investor listings in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, the investment, the research house Jarden said that um, uh, investor listings of a share of all listings hit a record of forty percent in Sydney last month and thirty percent, thirty six percent in Melbourne, which is just under the record. So, um, a lot of people thinking that. Um, yeah, the mortgage cliff, the increased interest rates, you know, are just saying, you know, some of the investors are just thinking, look, I can't hold these properties anymore. And if there is a rush on listings which impacts prices, am I better off getting out now? So, yeah, the sort of thought is that there could be more listings coming which which might sort of temper some of the house price growth we've had. But um, who knows? But, um, yeah, it, auction clearance rates are still like in Sydney and Melbourne, over 70%, over 80% in Brisbane and nearly 80% in Adelaide and mid 70% in Canberra. So, you know, there's still plenty of activity for people who are looking to buy. Real quick, the thing about um, commercial spaces, I reckon they'll keep dragging their feet to get people back into the office like CBA's doing. Yeah, well, in the end, like CBA's only asking people to go back two to three days a week. Like... Mm -hmm. Three years, three and a half years ago, before the pandemic, everyone went in the office five days a week. So, um, yeah, and I think we talked about last week the the public sector unions got an agreement, well, allegedly nailed an agreement with the federal government where people can work from home as long as they want. So, it's going to be interesting time. Um, one of the other things I was going to mention, Damon, this is sort of something that's just a bit left field. Um, there's all this talk of um, an impending housing collapse in China because of um, Evergrande, the big the big builder, is apparently $120 billion in debt. So um, it would just be interesting to see what happens there because they're talking about a slowdown in the China economy. And traditionally, when um, the China economy slows, um, that impacts areas like Perth and Queensland because they provide a lot of raw material. Um, you know, iron ore and coal and that sort of stuff to um, Chinese markets. So that's sort of just something that um, seems to be just bubbling away in the background. It's sort of been that's sort of been a story for probably close to a year now. So yeah, not sure what's happening. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Well, um, if people want to learn more about the podcast, there's obviously heaps of ways you can do it. If people want to learn about the business that Dad runs, that I work within. Uh, alongside my mother, who's also in the business. 
Uh, you can go to moneysaverhormones.com.au. If you want to learn about the podcast in the description box or the show notes for this podcast, you can find the Instagram pages for the business and the podcast uh, if you want to check those out. Best way to get in contact with us if it's something you want to do, go to Facebook, type in Money Saver Home Loans, or like I said, there's a contact form on moneysaverhomeloans.com.au you can check out as well. So that sounds like it's probably it, David. Everyone, um... yeah, that sounds good. So, yeah, just um, as we sort of said ad nauseum over the last couple of years, get in the game, be proactive. If you're not too happy with the way things are going, you need to make a change. We'll help you as much as we can. So, if you need help with anything, give us a shout. Um, if you're finding it hard to save money, um, we can help you with budgeting. Um, if you're looking to get pre approved for property purchase. Um, you know, if you've got horrific debts that you just can't get on top of, um, give us a shout. There's plenty of lenders that will um, that will help you out and probably save you a bit of money. Mm. It looks like, Dad, too, I'll, I'll cut this out. We'll just chat about it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, if people want to get in touch with us, we've given you all the ways to do it. So have a good week and we'll uh, we'll chat to you next time.